Welcome to Psalm 23 Podcast, a podcast intended to inspire the hearts and minds of those interested in learning on how to live the gospel in modern times. My name is Rutan Maldonado, and I'm your host. Today we have Pastor Grant Meyerholtz of Mount Hebron Baptist Church in Hartwell, Georgia. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, and our discussion today for Episode 6 will be on Mob Mentality, From Judgment to Compassion. Join us for a thoughtful discussion on how we can shift from quick judgment to compassionate understanding following the example of Christ. Before we get started, let us hear a selected reading of the gospel and then a quick reflection. My brothers and sisters, let us open our hearts and minds as we listen to the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus told his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner went out at dawn to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with them for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. Going out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You too go into my vineyard, and I will give you what is just. So they went off. And then he went out again around noon and around three o'clock and did likewise. Going out about five o'clock, he found others standing around, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They answered, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You too go into my vineyard. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Summon the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and ending with the first. When those who had started about five o'clock came, each received their daily wage. So when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also got the usual wage. And on receiving it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last ones worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who bore the day's burden and the heat. He said to one of them in reply, My friend, I am not cheating you. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what is yours and go. What if I wish to give this last ones the same as you? Or am I not free to do as I wish with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? Thus the last will be first and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Wow, what a phenomenal gospel. We just listened to the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and we've covered this in previous episodes, but if you're listening for the first time, we've actually received listener feedback about indicating what chapter and verses are are being said, and we do that now just so you guys have reference to it, but the reason why up to this point you had not heard us do that is our Jewish brothers and sisters, when they would do the Tanakh readings... There was no verses, chapters, or books in that manner. They just read from the scrolls. And so we're actually giving homage to that by doing the same with the Gospels. Pastor Grant, what comes to your heart and mind as you hear today's Gospel? To show where the real problem lies, the problem was not the work. The problem was not even the pay. The problem lied where one of the workers said, you have made them the same as us. It's equal. You're treating them just like one of us. And so when you see that, it's the same thing that happens in the uh, uh, church every day. Grace is good for me, but it's not good for you. 
Grace came easy to me, but you have to work harder for it. You have to perform longer for it. You have to do more than I did because I've been doing this longer. You know, I got in on the ground floor and you haven't been here for that long. And so I think what we see in this parable was not the work, not the heat, not even the the, uh, pay, but it's the fact that God was so generous and he's so loving and that I understand why he saved me. I just can't believe that he saved you. And so that's the meaning of the parable, so to speak, is that his uh, generosity, it's his grace. He can do with it whatever he wants to do with it. Amen. And so if he wants to give that to me, to you, to the alcoholic on the street that is trying to figure it out, if he extends that to the murderer on death row or wherever they are, it's his grace. And um, it's a very simple grace, but it is a reckless, unconditional grace that he gives and uh, it still cannot be earned, and it's not uh, deserved, and you can't work for it, and you cannot perform for it. So uh, I think the parable was meant to cut to the heart of the disciples as much as it was to the Jewish uh, listeners or to the Pharisees, but I think it was more for the uh, disciples at uh, that time because he was, he, he was talking to Peter above that, And if you remember, there was a few scriptures back where they saw people, they were casting out devils and they were out there healing uh, the sick. And one of them said, hey, they're not following us. Do you want me to go stop them? And Jesus said, absolutely not. You know, if they're not against us, then they're for us. Which always wondered who those people were who only had to hear it one time and then go do something. To where the disciples, they followed him for three years and almost never got it. So... I think I think he was just trying to share with them that there's going to be a lot of people who come and do great things, and you might not see them coming. You might not understand why God has called them or why God will be using them, but, you know, it's his kingdom, it's his vineyard, it's his grace. So we should all praise God that he is that loving and so generous. I definitely agree. I know I've mentioned this in previous podcast episodes, but I always think of the good thief that was next to Jesus at the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, literally in his last moment, he was able to enter the kingdom of paradise. And Jesus said, called it out, you know, and and we think in our own minds, like how you said, what it took us to receive Christ was a lot of work. And we've been Mm -hmm. staying consistent for a long time. And sometimes we get caught in that rite of passage to others to say, you have to work just as hard or even harder. And that's not for us to do that. That's for God to grant where he wants to grant. And we have to love, be obedient and respect that because at some point of our own journey, he met us where we were at. And if we were to take a moment of reflection, many of us would say they were at a period of time where we probably were just as much unworthy as, like you said, the person on, on murder death row and how loving, you know, God, our father to just swoop in, lift us up and take us in his arms. So yeah, I would agree with you on that. So today's episode, Pastor Gray, you you picked some amazing scripture to talk about today. So John 7, 53 through 8, 11, 
essentially the woman who was to be condemned for getting caught with adultery. And, you know, we all know the saying, he who cast no sin, throw the first stone. And essentially nobody could throw that stone is essentially what Jesus was saying there in the moment. But then, you know, you, you want to emphasize on how us as society, we are quick to go into a mob mentality. And then also just reminding us the humanity of Jesus. And you mentioned about bringing up on Hebrews too. So tell us some more. I had always tried to preach that story with the woman, you know, more, more or less what Jesus must have knelt down to write in the sand or what he did, or if he wrote anything at all, or if he was just kind of doodling. But here lately, what stuck out is how quickly and how successfully they were able to form a mob and not just any mob, a mob that was willing to murder that was willing to drag a lady through the streets. I don't know if she was uh, clothed or not. It says that she was caught in the act of adultery and always wondered why the man was not drugged with her. But it's real scary when you look at that, at how quick religion can form a mob to condemn and to judge and to carry out a, a crime of hate and a crime that they can use religion to justify that hate and we don't do it so much today in the physical but but we're doing it with our mouth we're doing it with our words we're doing it with our actions we're doing it on social media toward one another we miss jesus's point entirely when we use his words as uh, weapons against each other and so when you see that mob that was formed that quick to murder and was going to use religion to justify it. That's a that's really scary and something that that I think needs to be addressed, especially with where we live and the time in which we live in. Folks are really quick to jump to judgment and to condemning. I mean, we just saw on the news. I mean, who would have thought we would have seen a capital being stormed and the riots that we've seen and. You know, and some of the riots are understand as a protest and some are not. But just how quick you can assemble a group to do good and yet murder was the main goal and to use religion or to use thought or to use politics or to use whatever you want to use to control that mob. And you can see how it worked. It says that even when Jesus confronted them, how they dropped their stones was pretty impressive. It says they dropped it from the old to the young. So the old dropped first and left, but it was the old who recruited the young. And it took the young a little bit longer because they were hyped up and they were ready to go. They were ready to see this, you know, play out and this action and, and, and stuff like that. So it is a scary thought when, you are at the hands of a mob or you're at the just at the mercy of a mob and and the best thing they could have done was you know they normally the you know satan doesn't have a lot of new tricks and he's been kind of working the same thing for he's an old devil and gets real nervous i think and so you know he just does the same old things a lot of times but a lot of times the beauty of this is this mob drug her to the feet of Jesus. And sometimes when we think it's going to be our worst day or it's going to be the 
end of us and the stone's about to come and it's about to land on us. Normally, those are the times where we are drugged to the feet of Jesus and we don't even realize that the mob just did us a favor. Amen. But still, I mean, emotionally, physically, mentally, this woman who, who will never be named was drugged through the street with or without clothes on. So she was naked for the world to see, which, of course, in the spirit is, you know, she was stripped bare. She was it was there to see. It was everything about her was out. They were screaming what she had been doing and how she had been caught. And she's thinking, you know, this is this is it for me. I'm about to die. They're about to drag me into this man that I've heard is their leader or their new king. And he's going to rule in their favor. She knew enough of the law. This is probably not the first time they've seen somebody killed in the street or stoned in the street. But with Jesus, there was a there was a new law. There was something new that was coming that, you know, you're not going to stone her. You're not going to hurt her because there is no sin that she has done that you haven't done. And if you haven't, go ahead and throw. But if you have not, then you need to leave. But even then, she wouldn't look up. She was so scared, but Jesus made her look at him. And I think that is a beautiful thing when we serve a Savior who refuses for us to look down. Oh, yeah. So many times throughout the Gospels, he, he would say, don't look down, look, look up, up. Look up. Look up here. And I think he wanted her to see his eyes, and, and he wanted her to see his face, and he wanted her to see him smile. And he wanted her to know that, yes, you may have to deal with this memory. You might have to deal with how they look at you. You might have to deal with some people still talking, but you'll never have to worry about how I feel about you. And those who have wanted to condemn you are gone, and I don't condemn you neither. And I think that's the beauty, because a lot of times we, we have a hard time getting over our own sins, and it's hard to believe that we serve a God who knows everything, has chosen to, in his own self, to forget. And when it says he cast our sins into a sea of uh, forgetfulness and that he blots out our own sins for his sake and remembers them no more, that to me lets me know that <laughs> a lot of times the things that I'm still rehearsing over in my mind, he's already forgotten. But yeah, I think that mob is something that I think that the church world needs to reflect a little bit more on to see how quickly we unify to destroy people or a group of uh, people or to destroy an idea or a thought. And it's easy to recruit for a mob, obviously. And to me, that's uh, that's pretty scary. Yeah. I mean, you can at the drop of a hat. We sometimes hear and see it in that fashion. And, you know, going back to your comment of we don't really know what Jesus was writing. That's one of those questions when we do get to meet our maker, mm. we hopefully get that opportunity to ask. But, yeah. you know, some some folks in theology, you know, they, they try to take the approach of the Jewish times. If you were had some type of allegations of sin you wrote out what those crimes or what those sins were. And I remember one of my friends who 
he, he has a, a master's in theology, he takes a poetic aspect of he thinks Jesus was writing out the sins of all the other people one by mm-hmm. one. And as they read down at the ground to see the sin that was called out, they went about their way because yeah. they clearly knew this man knew what their sin was. And uh, I remember the first time hearing that, I was like, wow, I could totally see Jesus doing that. Yeah. And, you know, he's doing it in, in two fashions, like the um, what he's instructed, but he without sin cast the first stone, but also doing that, kill them with kindness, we'll, we'll say, mm-hmm. and just, you know, putting it out there and, and forcing them to go about their way and just shows the love of God. I mean, our father sent his son to yeah. pay for well, the captivity of all of our sins. You know, not in that one statement, you know, he that have no sin cast the first stone. He was showing the grace that was coming while fulfilling the law that was at hand. Because basically what he said was, when we're done with her, you're next. Yeah. You know, when, as soon as we're done with this, we're going to turn the stones on to you or to the next one or whoever. And, and I think the old ones who knew the law, they knew the statement that, that he was saying that if you don't have a sin, stone her, go ahead. And so they begin to reflect, you know, had I sacrificed my goat this week, you know, have I really killed the bull this week? You know, had, how many doves did I kill? You know, so they were thinking, uh, wow, this will be covered under next week's atonement when I have to go to temple and sacrifice, you know. So all these laws are going through their brains. And so they knew that maybe one or two uh, had killed a big enough bull for that day or had enough money to uh, atone for their sins at the temple for that week. But it wasn't permanent. And so Jesus was establishing was a permanent grace. No more sacrifice. It's it's one and done. You know, what Jesus is doing is enough. But we're witnessing it on such a unique scale in the church right now to where, and I'm sure you've seen it, you know, people are, uh, we're back to the old expression, you know, Jesus loved the sinner but hates the sin, or my favorite one on social media is, Jesus sat at the table with sinners, but he didn't sin with them. And which I, I hate that meme. It's because uh, I like the one uh, that I wrote instead that says, Jesus stood in the temple with Pharisees, but he doesn't judge like them neither. Amen. And so, you know, you got to know the difference there. So I think what Jesus was showing was in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, this isn't that hard. You know, when he says, judge not lest you will be judged too. With whatever measure you judge, it shall come to you. And I think the simplest thing there is, how much is that measure? You know, how confident am I in my own ability to judge? (laughs) And so when you think about that ability, because I'm sure some of them thought that, he said, well, let me go a step further. It'll be like you judging the sawdust in their eye while there's a stick sticking out of yours. Yeah. So before you think you've got it all together, just know this. You know, there are things that you think are hidden or not. So the easiest thing to do here is just simply don't judge it all. 
just don't condemn at all. And uh, but then I always, I always love when the church wants to add in, well, if you look there, Jesus told her, go and sin no more. Which is what he said to everybody. He was really yeah, well, consistent. I mean, well, how's that working out uh, for you? Because it's such, <laughs> you know, uh, I've been up 30 minutes in the morning and done sin 14 times. You know, and that's if I don't step on a Lego or a toy. When I step on a Lego, it's full-fledged re-atonement, and I'm just thankful for grace. Yeah. For the words that come out. Because if you've never stepped on a Lego... At 6 a.m., I don't care how sanctified you are or how saved, you're going to say things that you should not say. So there are some things to what he said, go and sin no more. And it's kind of like what he told the person who was healed and the Pharisees had confronted him. And and he told him, he says, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing would come upon you. And I don't think he was talking about another sickness. I think he was talking about the self-righteousness of uh, the Pharisees. Yeah, easily he could have been doing that because he, he always talked in ways to the hidden message. There There's yeah. always another message towards another party and well, lesson to be learned, right? And I think she was at the moment to where she's never going to forget that day. The day that Jesus stopped the mob, stopped the voices in her head, stopped all the whatever the confusion was that she was going through. I mean, you know, nobody wants to be in any kind of an adulterous relationship. So there was something there. Maybe it was a need. Maybe, you know, there was something wrong with her emotionally or mentally or something that was trying to seek this satisfaction from somewhere else. And we see it with the woman at the well who, had been married five times and the one she's with now is not. She's constantly seeking love from something, from somebody, not knowing that it would be a mystery man sitting at the well that day. Yeah. It was the seventh man, by the way, which was the number of uh, completion. So, And so when she met him, she goes and gets the whole town on fire. And so, you know, Jesus has these moments with unnamed people. And I love that, you know, that, they may they might be unnamed in the Bible, but they are echoed in heaven. The woman with the issue of blood, the woman at the well, the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, these are heroes now. Jesus says, even when the world doesn't count, he counts. When no one else cares about what your name is, he cares. And, Absolutely. You know, and and I believe they didn't have to find Jesus. I believe he was standing in the center of the street, knowing they were coming, knowing that this is this is it. This is the moment. You know, you're never going to be as cool as Jesus, no matter how bad you try. But yeah, so that mob and and just seeing how that kind of played out, and we see it now in our modern day culture with homosexual lifestyles or people who are. I mean, right now it's so volatile that. Republicans want to have a church and Democrats want to have a church. I mean, they don't even want to, you know, it's it's becoming to where religion is starting to choose a political parties. And, man, you know, to see mobs form when the vote doesn't go our way. No, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. You know, that's um, because we serve a kingdom. You know, Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. And as a Christian, we count as one vote. 
we vote and we go on about our day. But our biggest thing is to, you know, there's no way I could vacate the pulpit for politics. You know, I have the greatest privilege in the world, and that's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't matter if you're straight, gay, Republican, Democrat, whatever your favorite football team is. You know, I get to share Jesus with you. And, you know, and Jesus is the neutral ground for us all. So, Yeah, oh, 100%. And, you know, you, you mentioned about the divide that exists today, and Jesus called that out. He said, you know, there will be mother against the children, children against their fathers, and, you know, houses divided. And it's interesting. And, and, and I've always taken this reflection. If you took all the denominations of Christianity, specifically non-denominational, so each individual church that calls themselves to be non-denominational will say they are each their own denomination. You add those together and they're more than the total religions around the world added mm-hmm. together. And I don't think that's a coincidence. That's Satan doing his quote-unquote best work, in a sense, the one true way to heaven, the kingdom, is through Christ, and our denominations themselves, because we're so split on the way we we look at God. We want to say he's this make model of a car, or this color of a car. A friend of mine uses the analogy of a vending machine. We go to the vending machine, we say B12. That's how we want God to be. And we allow ourselves to create that divide. And as you mentioned, it leads into the politics. And we see that today. And it's really scary. Mm-hmm. But we're not to be anxious at the same time because Jesus said those things are to come. But more importantly, these are the times that matter most where we focus on unity. And yeah. what better way to focus on unity is by embracing our humanity. And I know that you wanted to tie into that with Christ. So Hebrews chapter two is where it's at. And, and we started a whole series on this at our church. And we're in uh, sermon number two going into sermon number three. But in Hebrews two, verse number 14, it says, since the children have uh, flesh and uh, blood, he too shared in their humanity. And, when I saw that, when he shared in our humanity, and then over in Romans where it talks about that when we shared in his humanity, that though he suffered, we'll suffer, but since he had glory, we'll have the glory. And then over there in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about we have a high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus did not shy away from being a human. And I think we think that there is something wrong with being human. And human was like God's, he loved the creation of humans. You know, I mean, he, he, he created everything you see on this planet was created for humans. And so he creates humans, you know, last and puts us in this garden. And then, but he, he's never lost the love for humans. Even sin doesn't drive him away from us. I mean, he said, Where you, wherever sin abides, grace much more shall abide. Does that mean we just go on sinning for no reason? You know, Paul, Paul would say, absolutely not. But it's going to happen. And so his humanity, you know, if God wanted to walk him out of the desert when he was 30 years old, he could have done that. 
You know, he could have walked him out, walked him straight up to John. John would have still known who he was. The voice still would have came and we would have had it. But it was so important for him to be born and to not to be born just to be born, but to be born in a scandal. Mary was what, maybe 15, 16, marrying a pretty good guy from the town, Joseph, who was from the line of David at that time. And here's Mary. And now all of a sudden these two kids are seeing angels and hearing things and and joseph is getting some advice why don't you just put her away privately why don't you just do this and then an angel comes talk to joseph and next thing you know they're walking and you know when the christmas carols have it all wrong if this was not a silent night this was not all this calm and all this bright this was this was not uh oh come let us adore him and their sure lord wasn't no little drummer boy i mean you know, how would you like to get your baby to sleep? And all of a sudden, someone said, you know what you need? You need a drum solo right here, right now. <laughs> so, Worst know, thing you want. Yeah, here comes the drummer boy. Your wife just gets the kid down and rope a bum bum, right? And so now the kid's up and the donkeys are awake. So, you know, everything's back to more, you know, but this is a, a barn. This is a manger. This is, they're running for their life. There's a decree to kill the the kids under two, but there's still the scandal. And they go down inside of Egypt for a while, and then look where they make their home, Nazareth, which is 14 miles away from anything, from the nearest ports. There's nothing in Nazareth. It's a basin. I mean, it literally means to be separated. And... If you ever went on vacation and went inside of the lobby of a hotel, you know, they have those little flyers of things to uh, visit. Well, inside of Israel, none of them said Nazareth, you know, at the time. You know, you didn't go to Nazareth. Nazareth is where you went to uh, evade taxes or to get away from taxes or from whatever you hid there. And so where else would a family who sees angels and visions and there's a 15-year-old girl that's pregnant. She's telling everybody it's God's baby. You know, so this doesn't paint a good picture. And so he spent almost 30 years of his life in Nazareth. And not only in such a secluded place, but he was a carpenter. He was a carpenter longer than he was a, a preacher. You know, he was only a preacher for three years, but he was a carpenter for what? You know, uh, 20 years. 18 years at least. And so when you read that in Mark, when it says, you know, when he's standing there in Nazareth uh, and the disciples are with him, they're so excited. They're going back to Jesus's hometown. This is Eminem going back to eight mile. You know, this is, (laughs) this is Jordan going back to North Carolina and, you know, he gets there and they hate him. Yeah. They don't receive him. Yeah, and in, in, in Mark chapter 3, his brothers and sisters come to get him because they think he's crazy. And so I think we'd forget that Jesus was born, that somebody changed his diapers, uh, that he was might have been a little colicky and he got sick. We know Jesus had a smart mouth because he left when he was uh, 12 and he, he stayed behind. The temple. Yeah. And I always thought that was funny because... I think they were gone for a day and a half until they realized that he was missing. Yep, a day, about a day and a half, and then it took the day yeah. and a half to get back. So a total of three days. They so were you got with, a newborn. 
Yep. You got a kid, right? I mean, you don't get in your car and not look in the car seat, you know. I mean, you know, so you know, I don't know what the parents were doing, but you know, someone said, "Where's Jesus?" And, and so they went there, and you know, he got sassy. You know, he said, "What are you doing I'm about my father's business?" And the Bible said he was subject to Mary, which is a Greek word for they disciplined him. So, you know, but he got a little smart with them, but let's go back for a second and remember how scripture says they themselves were filled with anxiety, you know? Oh yeah. So, yep. And I mean, imagine Joseph, you know, I'm stepped out here and I just lost God's kid, you know, <laughs> that's not anxiety. What is right? Right. I preached a sermon on that and, and it was entitled, don't lose Jesus at a Christmas, you know, and. <laughs> And, and so that's what they were doing. They were going to the temple to have the big festival there, kind of like their little Christmas. But as they're leaving, you know, Mary had the whole Kevin moment, you know, where she sat up and she said, Jesus, you know, and <laughs> so he's not there. You depict that and, uh, perfectly, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was great. So, like, you know, I always thought, you know, Jesus waking up in the uh, uh, temple, you know, he's like, I made my family disappear. You know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, but we forget that he had a sense of humor, that he ate and he drank. And when you think about it in Genesis, it says, let us create these things in our image. But for a God who created water, and trees and grass this is the first time he's actually going to feel it like you and i do yep. no yeah. longer about sympathy but empathy empathy but i mean imagine you and i i mean humans are so blessed that we can feel water on our hands and i thought about that not only could he walk on it but he also was subject to drowning to it because he was human because we know he can die. They nailed him to the cross and he died. And, you know, so when you think about his humanity and why he did this, you know, you think about why he became a carpenter. Why a carpenter? Why not a, you know, why not a camel salesman or a, a winemaker? You know, something cool, you know, something, but a carpenter? So did he deal with the clients who were never satisfied? Did he deal with people who uh, who took advantage of him, who didn't pay him? Did he get shortchanged on his parts and the materials? You know, what did he say when he hit his thumb? You know, oh, me and mom and dad, you know, <laughs> you know, what did he say? But he experienced work the way you and I have getting up early, coming home late stretching his money to buy groceries uh and we and we lose sight of this in his humanity but nazareth didn't they said is this not the carpenter and then they took another dive at him when they said mary's son notice they didn't say joseph's son and in the jewish customs they would have said who the father was but they didn't know because they believed in uh the scandal yeah so they didn't know whose son it was but they knew it was Mary's and the disciples are dumbfounded because they just left Capernaum and they just saw people raised from the dead and people being healed. And now he's in Nazareth and he says, and he could do nothing except heal a few people. 
But if you look at that scripture in Mark 6, and I love it, two times the word is used and it says amazed. One, the people were amazed that Jesus could, was saying what he was saying. And then at the bottom, it says Jesus was amazed by their lack of faith. You know, he could have done what he did in Capernaum or anywhere else. He could have done that in Nazareth, but they didn't want it. But they didn't want it through him. And I want to believe. Well, that and it's kind of like what they said about, you know, with the scripture in Matthew that we just heard. Sometimes we just do not like the people that God is using or is being very generous with. And they didn't want it to come from Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I do like the those other people who said, I'm sick. I want to get healed. So I don't care who his daddy is. <laughs> I'm going to believe what I'm hearing. So I'll go get healed. But his humanity was to, in all ways, go through what you and I go through. And then you have to acknowledge the fact that he went through pain and suffering, and misery, and he went through loss. You know, he stood at Lazarus' tomb, and he cried. Yep, Jesus calls. You know, some people think that Joseph might have died his first year of uh, ministry. So, could you imagine knowing that you could raise him, but instead you walk your mom home, and she's heartbroken? Which makes sense why he would look at John on the cross and say, This is your mom. Take care of her now. Let her live with you. And, you know, he felt the nails. He felt the thorns. But then one soldier even spit on him, and that cuts you to the soul. And so he experienced all that, you know, and I know somebody may be listening and say, well, he was never married. Well, we're the bride of Christ, and we haven't always been faithful, and we don't always praise like we should or worship like we should. And even in revelations it says we put other things in front of him that's not our first love anymore somebody else may be thinking well he doesn't have children he doesn't know anything about children and well he called disciples children and look how well they got along just i'm sure everybody's kids just get along wonderful (laughs) but then there's the scripture there it says that not only would we share in the sufferings but we would share in the glory there are good days You know, there were days where he made his clients happy and people liked the chairs that he made or the tables. There were times where he enjoyed seeing the people get healed and he touched them or he watched the disciples finally get it. He did it so well. Yeah. You know, he had good days and bad like we all do. And I think we're so quick to jump to the deity. There's nothing wrong with the deity, but the deity is captured in stained glass. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of carved in stone. And we either look at the baby version or the crucified version or the resurrected version. And we forget the everyday version, the Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and uh, forever. We forget about the Jesus who had a personality, who was Hebrew, who was Jewish, who grew up in the temples, who Jesus is not American, (laughs) And he can't be forced to fit into American culture a lot of times. You know, he can't choose a political party. You know, he's not going to choose a side. You know, the angel of uh, the Lord came down before they took Jericho. And I think it was Joshua. He said, hey, whose side are you on? And he said, neither. 
you know, I'm on the side of the Lord. And so he said, well, good, we'll be on your side. then." And I think we want a God who chooses sides. And I don't think God can choose between his uh, children, regardless of their sins or the color of their skin or the gender that they have. And that's why it says there's no Jew nor Gentile bond nor free male nor female in Christ Jesus. So I think the more we learn about his humanity, maybe we'll learn to appreciate ours a little more. And maybe we won't take it for granted. And we won't treat people less than a human because humanity obviously must be a big deal. If it wasn't, there's no way he would have left the splendors of heaven to come be one. And not only to be one, but to enjoy being one. If you can tell me that Jesus didn't have a good time when he was on this earth. (laughs) I mean, every time you read about him, he was eating or drinking somewhere with people. You know, he loved being around. He loved people. And, you know, I always love the scene where the Pharisee says, you know, what are you doing? And he's got a mouthful of food and a glass full of wine. And he says, I, you know, get a seat. You know, there's Simon the leper and there's this woman. She used to be a prostitute. But she's cool. And, you know, and here's Matthew. He used to take taxes, but it's cool. And one time. Lazarus was sitting with him, you know, here's Lazarus, you know, he's, he's had a couple of showers and, you know, he's got the dead smell off of him by now, but what a snapshot of the humanity of Jesus. Yeah. And, um, I think we see it played out and, you know, I love having, have met you as a friend and knowing that we share some common things together. And I think that's phenomenal. Because yeah, we literally yeah. come from two separate worlds. But sure. God has quickly shown us but, how they ended But you know, so did, so did John and Jesus. But in the upper room, if you want to see his humanity, while everybody else is trying to figure out who betrayed him and who's going to be in charge, John went and sat beside him. And the Bible says he put his head on his shoulder. Yeah, rested on his shoulder. And when it was all said and done, people missed the miracle man. People missed the water walker. People missed the demon destroyer. People missed the healer. John just missed his friend. He missed his voice. He missed his characteristics. He missed his personality. And I think that's why John was the last one. And he got that revelation and he got to see his friend again. And I think that's a beautiful image of really the love of God is he never wanted servants. He wanted friends. And he says, greater love have no man than he that lay his life down for his friends. Even said, I don't even want to call you servants. I'm going to call you my friends. And yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is Savior. Yes, he is co-equal. According to the Council of Nicaea, he is co-equal. You know, there is a trinity, you know, that I, I accept. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's something about the humanity of Jesus that I don't know. Have you ever seen the uh, shack? The shack, no. There's a great book that was written, and but it's it shows the uh, trinity at work. And the character is having a hard time understanding God the Father and the Holy Spirit. 
And so Jesus comes to him and says, hey, he says, those two can be a little weird sometimes. He said, <laughs> but he said, but if you have any questions about them, he said, come and ask me. He says, I'm the only one that's ever been human. And I, I thought, you know, that's a and if you've never seen it, put that on your watch list. I think it's on Netflix right okay. now. But and then you jump in the Hebrews four and you get to answer the question why he was human. And it was so that he would be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. You know, I was diagnosed with a tumor very fast uh, uh, growing and I had lost about 70 pounds because of it. Didn't know if it was cancerous or not at the time. And, you know, you're waiting on the biopsies and the biopsies can take a week or two. So that's a week or two of wondering if you have cancer and you are losing weight rapidly and you can't keep food down. So what does cancer feel like? Well, I didn't even know I had it. It doesn't hurt. This tumor does not hurt. But I was scared. I was frightened. I was mad. I was angry. I was upset. I was confused why God would let this happen to me. I was wondering who's going to take care of my family if it is cancer. I was wondering would I make it through the radiation and then it would start all back over again. I would cry. I would get upset. And those are the feelings he was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Not just to heal cancer, not just to heal us of infirmities, but the feelings that come with that. You know, the feelings, I mean, how does an outcast feel? How does it feel to be ostracized? How, how does it feel to not be welcomed in church? You know, how does it feel to be judged by the color of your skin? How does it feel when nobody loves you because you can't help who you love, you know? And more importantly, who are we to judge in all of this? Right. right. I mean, so do we grab a mob and we pinpoint them? Because it's so easy to hide my sin while I'm highlighting yours. Or do we honestly just take a moment and say, you know what? I've had some days that I didn't have it all together. And I've had some days that I've lost it. And I've had some doubts and some fears. And I've had some where is God moments. And I've had some, why have you forsaken me? And why have you left me? But you know, in John, when he says, I'll never leave you as orphans, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. This was, this was his plea to not only know what hurts us, but to seek us out in the moment of our biggest hurts. He's not repelled by him. He's not offended by him. He's not disappointed in him. He is drawn to them. And he'll leave the 99 and come to you every single time. And so, you know, this is not a Jesus that I've read about in a book. This is not a Jesus that I studied about in Bible study or even in seminary. This is a Jesus that has come to me night after night, year after year, in good times and in bad, but always in my weakest moments. He's there and he says, we're going to make it. We're going to be okay, because if I got up from this, you're going to get up from it, too. I'm I'm going to see that you do. Yeah, he showed us the way. I mean, yeah. God didn't have to come down as a human. No. He no. could have stayed 
up in the kingdom where he rightfully is supposed to be. Yeah. He chose to send his son and live out a human life, a very human life, and show us the way to overcome that sin. Yeah. And Amen. it starts with that love and compassion. If we focus ourselves, the love and compassion, we follow the commandments, we can all do better. Will we trip? Will we continue to sin? Yes, we will. But that's the reason why Jesus came. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a matter of doing our best effort to try. And like you said, not hiding behind our sin, being in front of it. And when we're able to do that successfully, then there is no need to create a mob for someone else. Because no. we ourselves are putting that love and compassion back just like Jesus did to us. It's just a phenomenal thing. But it, mm-hmm. as simple yeah. as that is, it's one of the hardest things to do well, in our culture of humanity. And I think this right here, and, and I know it'll, it might stir some people up, but my freedom should not be dependent upon your bondage. And so my freedom should not have any contingencies on it. The grace for me is the grace for everybody. You know, Jesus did not come in the fullness of time like he said he was going to come. He came in the fullness of time. The word was made flesh. God knew when Jesus was going to come in. He didn't come because everything was working out so wonderfully. You know, you got this big book of laws that no one can do, that no one can keep up with. You've got the corruptness in the temple. You've got all this coming. So finally, they just have a staff meeting where they finally says, all right, look, I got it. I got it figured out. Here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down there. We're going to just take sin off the table. (laughs) We're just going to wipe it out. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So we're going to wipe it out. We're going to make this easy. In Romans 9, whoever believes in their heart, confess with their mouth that they're saved, they're saved. You're still going to screw up. You're still going to mess up. But heaven is off the table. You'd come in the heaven. So what do I do now? You know, what do we do now? I got it. We're going to build great big churches with coffee houses. In them. That's the end game here. That's where we're going. <laughs> and, um, you know, and we're going to, we're going to hire the most talented people we have. We're going to get Nashville has-beens and the Motown wannabes. And we're going to, you know, if they didn't get enough likes, on TikTok or YouTube, we're going to teach them some sappy songs about Jesus. People eat that stuff up, right? And so, <laughs> and so, we're going to teach them that, and we're going to uh, we're going to get some spin doctors up here, and we'll shoot some lasers and some fog, and we're going to call that church. Now, if that's the way you have church, fine. I don't care. I don't care where you have church. Going to church is like the least important thing in God's mind. And I know every pastor in the world is going to email you for that. So who but, is this man? <laughs> yeah. But going to church is, is, it's just a way to supply his income. Okay. So I, I like going to church. I like assembly. I think the assembly of ourselves is important, but it's not a show and it's not a performance. And the music can be a little bit off key and, you know, the pastor may stumble through his message and the mites may squeal. Doesn't matter because we're there to edify one another, to build each other up, to hear the teaching of the word, uh, to pray for one another. And then what? We are to leave and go into a world and display Christ through humanity. Yep. 
And we do that by loving our neighbor. We love those enemies. We love the people who who love to persecute us. And we that bless takes them. Place. We don't curse. Yeah. And, and this takes place at Walmart. This takes place at Target. And, oh, God, no, we can't go to Target. I forgot. We just boycotted Target, right? Uh, I didn't. I like Target. Uh, Target's the only place where you can get those new goldfish, by the way. I don't know if you've had them, man. Oyster Bay flavor. Oyster Dear Bay. God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to yeah. go give that a try. Apart from two-day free shipping, he heard my prayer on that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you think about this, you know, and we do it all the time in, in stores. You know, like they told me happy holidays. It's a Merry Christmas. You know, don't be a jackass uh, for Jesus. You know, we don't need that. They're on their job. They're working. They're trying to provide for their family. It's a single mom making a check. And you're chewing her out because she didn't say Merry Christmas. You know, just happy holidays. Take your stuff and go home. Yeah. And so, um, but, you know, we love to point our righteousness to people who are defenseless. And we do it in stores and we do it in keyboard when our ice melts in our tea and we chew out the waitress and are we have something to say in Walmart about the people who are having to pay with the change that day and they're robbing you of 10 minutes of your time. And so, yeah, I don't care if you go to church and they blow the windows out every Sunday with the latest and greatest music and your pastor can preach every day till Sunday. If you're not loving your neighbor as you love yourself and you're not putting it into practice, I'm not saying you're a bad person. You're just wrong. And you need to rethink what church is. Church is not something you go to. It's something that you become. And um, it doesn't matter who people vote for. It doesn't matter who they love. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff. You know, we're just, unfortunately, we're living in a day and age where if you're living in a subdivision and you got the Christian church that lives in this house and a and a Muslim uh, family that lives in this house and a gay couple that lives in this house and one of their homes catches on fire, you may have that kind of a tendency to look out the window and say, see, right there, that's the judgment of God right there. That's what they get. That is not the Jesus of Nazareth that I know. It doesn't matter who your neighbor is. The first thing that should go through a Christian's mind is, Oh my, call 911, invite them into our home, see if they are oh, you the, thirsty, yeah. do you need food, Give would you like water. to take a shower, is there somebody we can call for you? I don't know if we're the same size, but you can have anything that's in our closet. You know, are your kids okay? Do you want to stay here tonight? And that's what the good Samaritan's message was. And not only did he pay for it that night, but he says, if he adds anything else to the bill, meaning that if he hit the mini bar at the first church at the first hotel in Samaria, he says, I'm going to cover that too. You know, it's not all this. Well, God only helps people who helps themselves. I've had moments where I couldn't help myself and he helped me. Absolutely. Our hardest of times is when he swoops right in and, and lifts us up. You know, you take the, the poem of footprints when you only see the one set of footprints. What's going on there? That's when the Lord is carrying us because we right. keep walking. Or or that sand people because they travel single file to cover the 
Oh, I love the Star Wars reference. Yeah. <laughs> Disney, don't get us in trouble. <laughs> Disney loves us. <laughs> and if you're listening, Bob Iger, every, most of my tattoos are Disney, so. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I think now, and I'd love to hear what you think, I think it's easier today to share the gospel than ever. Oh, yeah. The opportunity is there. You're in this movement of where people do want to listen and give chances, or they've been outcasted so many times and they see an act of charity out of nowhere, just pure randomness, and they ask why, you know, where or what. I mean, I think in my own journey, the times that I had moments where I didn't see an act of kindness coming, I was struggling, you know, some type of hardship and pure stranger coming up and, and seeing the situation as it is, offering to help and me saying, you know, what's this about? And the only thing they're asking in return is to pay it forward because that's what Christ would want. And it's like, wow, even though we're in the darkest of times, even though that we hear and see so many dark, dark, dark things, there's definitely the opportunity for evangelization to get the the word of God out there and so many yeah. different creative flavors, so many different outlets. I mean, I myself, I used to be scared of the word evangelization. I used to say, God has given me many gifts, evangelization, not one of them. And look at me. I have a podcast show that's airing in 25 different countries. I have a Facebook page with under 4 million views since October of last year. That's not by my efforts. I'm just taking information I feel that God's calling me to put out there and he's letting it go the direction it needs to go. And I'm just being obedient. But when we take these moments to, to do this, like you said, we never know who is going to be touched. And it's yeah. so many cases, one person at a time. And that's the beauty of it. And I think what scares a lot of the quote unquote denominations like you were talking about, and not all denominations are bad, but you know, why so many? I think the last number was there's 285 different denominations in this country. They're all squabbling over who's right and who's wrong. You know, most of them are pretty big uh, pyramid schemes and <laughs> the money starts at the bottom and goes up to the top. And and they do a lot of good works, too. I'm not doubting that at all. But, you know, we're kind of like arrogant sometimes when we send uh, missionaries over to other countries who knew about Jesus before we were a country. So when you think about that sometimes, but 285 and even like the church where I pastor, it's a Baptist church. And Baptist is like, of all denominations, not them, you know, because especially not in the South. But there's 63, I think, other denominations that are Baptist. Wow. I didn't know that. And Yeah. I mean, it's not just the Southern Baptist. You've got the, the CBF and the Free Will Baptist and Independent Baptist and the Fire Baptist. I mean, the American Baptist. But, you know, in the CBF uh, Baptist is pretty neat. I think that's the cool. Cooperative Baptist uh, Fellowship and just really doing some awesome things uh, for God. But the word in itself, Baptist, is not a horrible word. It means to be covered, to be immersed. You know, it's it's a it's a great word, but it can catch root of a lot of spiritual trauma that people have experienced. You know, where I live here in this little county, you know, maybe thirteen thousand people. We have more churches than we do people, um, and, and probably 50% of those are Baptist. 
and they split and they start another. And they're not splitting over doctrine. They're not splitting over the virgin birth or the crucifixion or they're not splitting over the resurrection, the ascension. They're not splitting over any of that. They're splitting over because this family wanted the walls white. This family wanted yellow. They want this car carpet. They want this. And, you know, they the want two machine. ply. And this bathroom wants three ply. It's the vending machine, you know. And when you get that going, it creates so much spiritual trauma amongst people if you are a part of a of a marriage that's like interracial or same-sex marriage or anything like that you know then you can be met with a lot of uncertainty when you step inside of a church you don't know if you're going to face the mob that's going to hug you or the mob that's going to drag you out and that's really sad for me because you know, I, I'm the tattoo preacher, so I'm already going to hell regardless of my views because I have tattoos. And yeah, everyone wants to know, well, was that before salvation or after salvation? And I'm like, well, um, considering I just got one of these yesterday, um, I would say it was after. <laughs> so I've been doing this for 27 years, and I've preached in almost every denomination, and I am convinced that in every church I go into, that there are only two kinds of people who go there, and that is the aware and the unaware. There are people still today who are unaware, oblivious of this unconditional love that he has for all of us. This love that knows no boundaries, no limits, no breaking points. This love that is relentless, this love that was given to us when, when, as the Bible says, when we were still sinners, God loved us. When we were, no matter what, we were loved. And, and I think people struggle with that. And they are so unaware of that because they still see Jesus as the, as the person that has the big rod in his hand and he's just waiting to hit you with it. Or, you know, he's the lawyer Jesus that every time you go to pray to him, he's, He's going back years and regurgitating your sins. But there's no condemnation in those in Christ Jesus. And I think what we're missing is that Jesus who just wants you to put your head on his shoulder and sometimes don't even say a word. Just enjoy the moment with your friend. And sometimes he knows that you know and you know that he knows. And I think our biggest gift back to uh, Jesus would just be to trust you know, what he said and what he meant that he said. But so many times we overlook that love factor and we live to uh, perform in church. We want to perform and it's a performance and we want to be known by our works. And I know faith without works is dead. I get that. But in saying that, we, we don't have to perform to gain his attention or his affection he loves because it is his very nature it's his very being love for god is not a good idea it's who he is he is love in the very center of it and it's the unconditional agape love and, and, and i think when we lean on that a little more and we understand that to know that he has already accepted us I think I think you'll start seeing a shift in people 
and you'll and you'll start seeing it hopefully in inside of our meetings first inside of church first but then you'll start seeing it in the way we treat people daily absolutely uh, so that's what i'm hoping for going back to your statement about how we try to do a performance within the church or or we're looking towards being recognized for those great works it's ironic that God's greatest works that he does through us is when we do nothing. Mm-hmm. So we're just about our day and we might get put into a random situation to minister to someone that we're not expecting. And in that moment, we're not thinking to do anything. We're not looking for any type of source of credit or anything from it. And right. we see the hands of God right there in that moment. And we just, how you mentioned agape love immediately we feel uh, overwhelmed in, in a positive way with that agape love right. because, you know, it's in those hidden moments. Right. But I think Jesus wanted us to see what real ministry looked like. And it was, you know, don't tell anybody. Yeah. Make sure you don't tell anybody that I did this for you. Um, you know, this is just between me and you. And that's still the scripture that, you know, don't let the right hand see what the left hand is doing. Maybe Matthew still go, pray, yeah, still go pray in private. And if you pray in a private, then God will reward you openly. And, uh, and again, for all of y'all that are listening, don't forget at Walmart or Target or wherever you are, that cup of cold water ministry, that, that loose change ministry, that hug ministry, that, you know, the one beautiful thing about the, the uh, uh, leper who came to Jesus, and I always get emotional when I think about this. If you notice the leper that came to Jesus never asked to be healed. He only asked to be touched. And the leper had heard of a story about a man who touches people. And when you are a leper, you're socially outcasted. And you have to announce that wherever you go. Yeah. And no one will touch you. And I don't know if this guy was married or if he had kids. I don't know how many years he had been a leper. But psychology says that we need to be touched so many times throughout the the day. Your baby that you have has got to be held and hugged so many times a day for their development. And this guy had gone years without being touched. And he, all he asked, he said, if you're willing, would you touch me? And Jesus said, of course. And he touched him. And I think we move through the crowd so much and we're so busy that we forget to touch people. And I don't mean that in a, in a rude way, but there are people who still want to shake your hand yeah. or fist bump or they want that hug. I met this, uh, young man he uh openly came out to his family and his his family wouldn't have anything else to do with him Mm. and he and i were talking and he was heartbroken and he was ashamed and not for what he was but just that he couldn't go home He, he he had nowhere to go and he said what i miss more than anything is the way my family used to tuck me in at night or used to hug me or hold me. 
And I thought about how does he view God now? Because the people who claim to love him the most don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. And that happens a lot. And, and it doesn't just happen to people who may have a, a gay or lesbian lifestyle or the white girl who marries the uh, black guy here in Georgia. Yeah, replace they, it with anything. No, you, you're right. I mean, and they have the family who disowns them and they miss that touch. And, oh, how you know, I'll use my own story. And, you know, I don't mind sharing with the audience. Uh, yeah. and, and you and I have already talked about this, you know, because I don't hide behind my sin, right? I used to have a hardness of heart for the homosexuals. But the way my grandmother raised me, it was one of the worst sins you could commit. And I grew up at a very young age. If I knew someone was homosexual, I disassociated myself with them and, and wanted nothing to do with them. And like you said, they lost that touch. They lost that community aspect. And I remember, you know, I'll just put it out there um, because there's nothing to hide. My father, you know, I was 12 years old when I found out that my father has uh, relations with men. And I found out in a very traumatic way. I came home early from school, walked in, nothing a 12-year-old wants to see, right? I remember the anger and rage that lived in my heart in that time because my grandmother had told me for all these years of just how bad that was. And God found a way to remove that hardness of heart for me. You know, he, he put a set of friends in high school that I had no clue none the wiser as they say and when i found out i took the approach this person's my friend this person i've i've developed a brotherhood with i can't change the friendship we have just because of what they just shared and i remember being cured of that hardness of heart and it took those opportunities for me to restore my relationship with my father i have such a loving relationship with my father now i was 24 when I, you know, embraced everything about my dad, had a communication uh, with him and said, you know, dad, I love you. I, I don't care that you have feelings for men. I care about you. I love you. Nothing's ever going to change that. And us as society, we have those opportunities and it goes right back into what Jesus was instructing to us at the core, at its finest, is to love one another and when yeah. we can take that, remove that hardness from our heart, just like I did, it allows us to bring that forward for the next person so that yeah. the next person feels loved, the next person feels welcome. And then that will eventually spread like wildfire. You're exactly right. And, and that's that was the sole purpose in the humanity of Jesus was to say, uh, you know, you have heard it said, but now I'm telling I think he probably eight or nine times with the Sermon on the Mount, which I always thought it was funny. You know, you've heard it said that you can hate this enemy. And I always love that, you know, because somewhere reading in, in that law, there were people where you could justifiably hate, you know. But he says, but I'm telling you to love your enemies. Now, I'm sure that went over well on the sermon. You know, the Pharisees, they sermon. ended up. Yeah, I mean, I, not well. The well, the disciples even struggled with it. You know, even 
even Simon Peter wanted him to put it into a mathematical equation. You know, how many times, Jesus? You know, the law says seven. seven. (laughs) And Jesus says, no, seven times 70. It's so, you know, you know, even Peter's like, you know, let's get mathematical here. I'm not going to get philosophical. I don't want to hear another parable. I don't want you to compare forgiveness to a pearl or another fish or, you know, another kid leaving his house. Just tell me, what's the number? Give me the number, you know. What's the number, Jesus? And Jesus basically looked at him. He said, I don't want you to keep count. I want you to lose count. Yep. I want you to quit thinking about hate. I want you to quit thinking about when you can retaliate or when you can strike back. And I want you to focus on how you can love and put the the coals of kindness out there if they sue you. Just give me a tunic too. I think he was setting us up that if you buy into God's economy like that and you become a citizen of that kingdom and you really buy into it, when the world strips you, he's going to bless you. And there's nobody who can who can bless you like he can, who can take 10 years of slander and in a minute silence your enemies. He's still the God who prepares a table in the presence of your enemies. Just don't get up from the table. I've had so much fun meeting you and talking to you and, you know, texting you. I look forward for the text and, and, but then I've, I've, I've made other friends since, uh, you know, since uh, this article has come out. And some of them are atheists. And they're like, you know, we don't believe in what you're preaching. We think you're a sky wizard. But, you know, we think you're cool. And what you're teaching people to love is awesome. And if we lived around you, I'd come to church there. And that's I'm what That's planting the seed. You know, yeah, at but, this but time, still, they might you know, be atheist as they were yesterday yeah but my brain goes and i'm like can i get the church to call me scout wizard you know (laughs) that is like the coolest title ever because i do not like reverend and pastor and all that stuff i mean i'm grant you know but i like you know like some terms that come from the catholic church you know i like stuff like friar you know i've always liked the friar of fire or the monk of funk or something you know but You know, kind of like Apollo Creed, that list of names. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the day, I'm just Grant. That's all I want to be. And um, And that's all God wants us to be. Yeah. Or like John. Yeah, I'm just the disciple whom Jesus loved. And And um, trusted his mother with, like you said earlier. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I love that. And, you know, this is all new for me that, you know, as soon as that article came out in the Washington post, man, I have, I've made friends. I've never thought I would, I would have, and I've lost friends. I never thought I would lose. And that hurts a lot because I am in a small town and people have known me all my life here. And, um, you know, there's nothing I wouldn't do for the people of this town. And it's not everybody in this town. It's just a few of the little, very, very religious, hardcore, you know, no one's getting into heaven unless if you come here. 
But Pastor uh, Grant, you know, we talked about this before. In some ways, you're blessed more than Jesus because you are pastoring in your hometown, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you're just like Jesus and Nazareth that you have yeah. folks within your town that aren't appreciating what you have to say. On both well, sides, it's still a blessing. It is a blessing. and But the church here is growing. Last Sunday, we, we ran out of parking spaces. We had nowhere else to park people. Wow. We had nowhere else to sit people, and they have treated this church like it was the orphan church. Yes, the church that people just drove by and just, you know, we were, you know, we're not 14 miles away, but we're about 14 minutes away from town, <laughs> you know, but we're out here. Uh, there's no reason to come out here unless if you live out here, but this church has you know, there was only 13 people when I, when I got here, I've literally known about this church my entire life. It, it's a, it is a sweet church. The people here are loving and kind. And this just didn't start when I got here. This was 13 people who desperately wanted people to come to church. And they each had somebody in their family who was either struggling with a lifestyle or this was going on and they had been told that they couldn't go to church somewhere or were not allowed in certain churches or whatever it was. And so, you know, when I got here, it was totally different because, you know, I just listened to them and, you know, it, it matched my heart too. And so I really wanted people to come and they wanted their family to come. So we just opened the doors, opened our heart, opened our mind, and we have changed nothing about the church. You know, it's a, just a simple church service. I'm, I'm sitting in it now. You know, we have the stained glass windows and the beautiful sanctuary. But what we have is... You can't take three steps through this door without people just hugging you, shaking your hand, and, and just glad that you're here. That's how it should be. And they don't care where you're coming from, and they don't care what 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 life is for you or what what stage of the journey of life that you're in. They're just glad you're here, man. It's one of those things. I really I really wish I could take I could take credit for. But this started with 13 people who desperately wanted all people in their church. And so kudos to them. Man. Kudos to them, but also yeah. as well, God put you there for a reason. Well, I've been a pain in the butt to denominations all my life. So, so <laughs> that's nothing new for me. So, but um, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. But it, it's great when you are... When you're with people who are different, but they celebrate differences and we all have the same goals in mind. So that's a, that's the beauty of it. And, um, just like you said about me and you separate parts of the world, totally different paths. And now in 2023, almost everything in common. Yeah. And wow, it's, it's, it's man, when Jesus told them that you'll have houses and, and lands that you didn't even know about. You'll have friends you didn't know about. You'll have brothers and sisters you didn't know about, you know, houses you didn't build and things you didn't do. And 
you know, I have been invited to so many states um, to speak at so many different denominations and venues. And I've had people to call and say, hey, if you ever come to Vermont or Oregon or, or Washington or California, you know, you can stay with us. We'd love to have you in our homes. That's never happened to me before. And all because of a news article, which should not be news, you know, a church that opens their door to all people should not be national. <laughs> That's supposed to be the golden number one rule, right? I mean, it, it, it's the foundation, not the 1%, you know? I mean, so it's not supposed to 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 do that at all. And so uh, I got people texting me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can wrap things up. There's obviously a need for a part two. Yeah. but Love to. But that's fine. I don't care. They, they're wanting to know if I'm at church. They all have keys. All they got to do is walk in here. <laughs> I just really want to appreciate taking the time, opportunity. To do Absolutely. This. this is phenomenal. I'm biased. I think this is going to be the best episode yet, period. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure God will surprise me and say, no, I have another oh, story yeah. for you. But when I see the fact that our lives are so different, in the basis of how we got to where we got yet so similar at the same time. It's just, it's like a, a beautiful masterpiece that yeah painted by two separate artists, but they connect together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, is there anything if someone said, you know what? I didn't get a chance to listen to this over an hour and a half. Any quick takeaway that you think of all things that people should take away from today's message? I am a ragamuffin at heart. So Brennan Manning said that uh, here's a revelation as bright as the morning star. Jesus comes and loves sinners. He comes for the prostitute. He comes for the, for the crack addict, for the alcoholic. He comes for those who are enamored by success and those who are swamped with failure. He comes for those who are rich and that are poor, that are straight, that are gay, that are white, black, and brown. He comes for the tax collectors. He comes for the fishermen. He even comes for those who work in the United States government. And Jesus loves us as we are right now, not as we should be, because we are never going to be as we should be. Amen. And before we break away, I just want to say to the audience of Psalm 23 podcast, thank you for tuning in today. We are grateful for your support and feedback. Also, mark your calendars. Our podcast releases new episodes on the 23rd of every month. Hit that subscribe button now and stay in the know. You can find me on Facebook as Roots and Maldonado, on Instagram at Psalm23Podcast, and on our website at www.rudesind.com. Reviews help us grow. If our show has made a positive impact on you, please consider leaving a rating and review on your favorite platform to listen to podcasts. If you can think of any family or friends who may benefit from our show, we would love it if you could share this podcast with them. Another way to stay in touch is by joining our Facebook discussion group named Psalm23 Podcast Discussion to connect with like-minded people and continue the conversation. Your contribution plays a vital role in our ability to reach more individuals and create positive change. 
Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon. May God continue to bless you in all ways. Your brother in Christ, Roots and Maldonado.